the buyers, the executives are actually looking to their solution providers for advice and for guidance. They are hungry for ideas uh, and they are, whereas I think in the past they would turn to their peers, they would turn to industry analysts, management consultants, things like that. Now they're going directly to the source and they're going to the solution providers. And uh, that's who they wanna have conversations with. Hello and welcome. I'm Rob Levitt and this is C-Suite Marketing, Expert Conversations on Executive Engagement. Today's episode with Julie Schwartz was a treat for me to record. Julie's Senior Vice President, Research and Thought Leadership at ITSMA, and she's led studies with C-Suite executives for more than 20 years. We talked about the changes in how executives engage that Julie has seen over the years, the more dramatic changes in our 2020 studies in areas like thought leadership and engaging with executives virtually, what it takes now to build trusted relationships in the C-suite, and why ongoing research and insight is so central to any executive engagement program. C-Suite Marketing is sponsored by Boardroom Insiders, a business intelligence platform that makes executive engagement easier than ever. Learn more at boardroominsiders.com. Learn more about this podcast and all the work we do on executive engagement, ABM, thought leadership, and other B2B marketing issues at itsma.com. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And now for today's show. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. I know. I've been, I can't believe it's been so long before I finally got you on to talk about all the incredible executive research that you do. Yeah, you wore me down. <laughs> All right, so let's quickly do a little bit of background. You've been studying executive engagement, how executives engage for years. Yeah. Obviously, this past year was really different, but let's just go back a little bit. Tell us about the history of the research that we've been doing that you've been leading at ITSMA. Yeah, well, I've been doing this research for 20 plus years, probably close to 24 years. I've been at ITSMA for 25 years. And we, we started doing this research, first looking at how customers choose solution providers. Then we were looking at, um, uh, I can't even remember, but uh, how they consume information. And then we changed to how they engage. And so there's been a, an evolution of the research that we do and really, it changes in, in meeting the needs of our members. Uh, mm -hmm. We have sponsors of the research who are providing input every year in terms of what it is that they would like to learn and ask the, the customers. And that really helps us in shaping the research to the needs of our audience. So it's a great partnership in how we do this. So why, why that last shift, which has been what maybe three, four years to focus specifically on engagement? Well, that's really what it's all about in marketing these days. It's uh, about you know, picking your, your, your target audience, who are you most relevant to, and making sure that you have 
the kinds of experiences and content that is going to engage them so that they'll want to get to know you and you can develop the trusted advisor relationships that, that you need in this environment. Right. So less about just building awareness, making connections, and then handing over to sales. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, sales needs help uh, and they can't do it alone. It really is a partnership between marketing and sales to develop these relationships that engage. Great. All right. So now let's talk about this incredible year of 2020, which thankfully we're past. Yeah. <laughs> um, but of course, um, everybody had to go virtual and executive engagement, I think, was one of the laggards in B2B marketing in that so much of the activity and focus was in person, face to face. Yeah. Um, so when we studied it, what did, what did we see? It's important for us to qualify when we talk about B2B marketing. We're not, I always say, we're not talking about buying paper clips, paper, and printers. We're talking about really large-scale, high-consideration services and solutions. And so these are, are not decisions that are made in a matter of minutes, days, or weeks. It's really months and sometimes uh, years for these decisions to be made. And there, the, the kind of relationship needed has always been very much hands-on, face-to-face, because you're, you know, you're, you're really looking for, um, you, know, you talk about dating and marriage kinds of analogies and these kinds of pursuits. Actually, tell us um, a little more about the research itself. Like, how do, how do you approach it? What's the scope? Yeah, so we try to be as global as possible. And so we, um, we did, uh, in, in the last iteration of the research, we did 535 surveys uh, in North America, Europe, and Asia Pacific regions. And so, and we screen all of the people that we speak to to make sure that they come from large enterprises, that they are senior executives, so they're uh, director level and above. With primarily, we're talking to VPs and C-level executives from large enterprises. Uh, they're all involved, either as a decision maker or influencer, in deals that are in excess of half a million dollars. So we're talking again about large enterprises, large purchases. Right, and this is cross industry. Yep, yep. We we look across all industries and cross-function. And cross-function, yes. Yeah, so we have 50% of the respondents are IT and the other 50% are functional business executives or line of business executives. Right, and on the IT side, these are CIOs and VPs of, exactly. of IT or information security, roles like that. They're business-oriented roles. Exactly, yes. Okay, all right. Now let's talk about what changed in 2020 you know, the world changed, the market changed, business changed. What did we see in the research we did in 2020 compared with previous years? Yeah, so it was a really exciting year for executive engagement. Uh, it kept us busy because there was a lot of change. In fact, we talked about this being an executive engagement transformation because we've had all these other transformations. So why not also an executive engagement? And probably, uh, you know, there were, the biggest change that, that all the other changes stem from is that the buyers, the executives are actually looking to their solution providers for advice and for guidance. They are hungry for ideas, 
and, and they are, whereas I think in the past, they would turn to their peers, they would turn to industry analysts, management consultants, things like that. Now they're going directly to the source and they're going to the solution providers. And uh, that's who they wanna have conversations with. You, know, you think about the, you know, the world's changing so fast and how best to get the information that they need, but from the people who are creating the technology and solutions. And so that's what we see they're, that they're doing. They're going and they're trusting the solution providers. And in return, the solution providers really need to step up with their thought leadership. Uh, they need to provide the ideas. One of the things that's changed is in the past, the thought leaders, the thought leadership was more, um, you know, what we'd say sort of horizon two and three kind of thought leadership. What's going to happen in the next three to five years and what's going to happen in the future? Now, what we're seeing is that the, the executives are looking for, what can I do today and tomorrow? Uh, so they're not looking so far in the future. So more uh, practical, more yeah. practical. Yeah, yeah, and, and that'll probably, uh, you know, as the pendulum swings and we uh, get through this this crisis, which we're still in the process of getting through, that will probably change back so that they'll be more future looking. But for now, they want to say, how do I get through this this time, and how do I, you know, prepare myself for tomorrow, as opposed to three, five, ten years from now, which was what they were doing previously. So the the nature of the thought leadership has changed. What they're what the executives are looking for. I think those are some of the bigger changes. Um, the, I guess the other change is from, we did the research in May at the beginning or, or towards the beginning of the pandemic. And then we repeated it again in September. And from May to September, we saw changes, which was so fascinating because this was the year of transformation. And what we saw is that the comfort with and the preference for digital engagement started to improve. And part of that is, uh, I think it was a change in perception. This is all we've got. So we've got to like it, you know, love the one you're with. And also we got a lot more experience. So we learned, we as the solution providers learned how to do it better. Mm-hmm. And as the consumers of this digital engagement, we learned how to consume it better. So I think that that kind of was a hand in hand improvement. Uh, but we saw some significant jumps in, uh, for example, the perception of the effectiveness of virtual meetings for peer networking and, uh, and also for uh, educational learning purposes. Uh, and we also see that preference for digital engagement is improving, you know, especially for things like video uh, a- as well as for online meetings and things like that. So um, social media. Uh, you know, we, we waited for years to see social media <laughs> be a preferred way of engaging. And it's still not at the top of the list, but we do see a jump in more people preferring social media, not as a broadcast, but actual engagement on social media. Right. Um, again, an area where executives seem to be the laggards. I remember back in the spring, Julie, we talked a lot with our members about specifically that peer networking issue and how hard that seemed to be virtually, that demonstrating thought leadership, having one-on-one conversations, things like that, those translate a lot, perhaps more easily, but we were worried and everybody seemed to be really worried about the peer networking piece. So what do you attribute that to, that there seems to be a real improvement 
you know, there, there were two things, because we actually, uh, when we started looking at the initial data and we saw that there was this jump in, in value of peer networking virtually, we added a question to the survey and we said, why, right? Why is it as effective or more effective? And there really were two things driving that. One is uh, the geographic proximity issue, because it used to be I could network with my peers if I had um, you know, access to them. And now the world is much smaller. I have access to almost anyone that I want to speak to and you know, time and place have no bearing on when I'm going to get access to speak with them. So that's part of it. The other part of it is this um, you know, saying that, well, it's the safest way for us to do it. So it's almost this realization, it's the only way we can do this right now. We're gonna make the best of the situation. They're just learning how to do it better. Now, I think that's right. In other episodes of the podcast, when we've talked with people running advisory boards and executive forums and those kinds of networking-oriented programs for executives, they've talked about learning over this year how to shift from you know, the twice a year incredibly fancy in-person people fly in from around the world to much more of an ongoing networking approach. You know, let's get the group together for an hour to talk about this one specific challenge or issue. And hey, let's do that next week. And oh, seven of you wanna pick up next month on this issue. So becoming a lot more fluid, a lot more agile in how you facilitate the kind of networking that we know executives value so highly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot easier to network when you're doing it virtually. And that's what, what people are experiencing. Yeah. So I want to come back to the thought leadership topic for one more minute, because um, you started to discuss the changes in kinds of content, really, and information that executives are looking for. Um, a little bit shorter term focus, a little bit more practical, and it's a little bit of a be careful what you wish for, right? I mean, as marketers, we've been investing in thought leadership for years with the hope that we would be seen as real credible advisors and experts. And so there was a big jump forward this year in the data, as you say, but also we need to talk about some different issues and maybe in different ways and a little bit more practical. So how should marketers, how should people running thought leadership programs think about that shift in what's going to be most useful? Yeah, and that's a great question because I think as marketers, we um, focus more on the delivery of thought leadership sometimes than the creation of it. Uh, and what we really have to recognize is that there has to be um, as much attention to that creation feature, you know, the um, defining the, the uh, agenda, the thought leadership agenda. What are the issues? And not just any issues, but how do they tie to our business strategy? How do they tie to our marketing strategy? Which there, has probably changed quite a lot yeah. <laughs> right? in exactly. the last month. Right. And, and then it's developing the points of view, of course. Uh, you know, whether it's research-based um, or, or however, or if it's just, you know, getting it from your subject matter experts and then producing the thought leadership assets. And, and usually marketing produces the, the assets and thinks about how are we going to get them out there kind of thing. What are the campaigns we're going to use? Uh, mm -hmm. But they have to go further now. What's really important is to look at 
how do we go? It's almost like that last mile. And that's going to be the sales force and the, the business development developers. They're the ones that have to be absolutely fluent in the thought leadership and bring this to the um, executives who are looking for it because they're the ones that have the day-to-day uh, just interaction with the executives. That yes, the subject matter experts have that interaction, but they're so few and far between and their, their time is so limited that you can't rely on those subject matter experts to be able to uh, engage and deliver that thought leadership all the time. So what the solution providers have to do now is equip and enable the salespeople so that they can be these frontline thought leadership experts so that they can almost you know, be the, the, the surrogate subject matter experts so they don't have to bring the subject matter experts in every single time. Right, right. I, w- I wanna also talk about what hasn't changed. You know, yeah. again, you've been doing this for years studying executives and how executives engage and obviously a lot changed uh, this past year. Um, so I have a couple questions in mind. Let me just ask you the general one first. What hasn't changed? What hasn't changed, despite the fact that we see that digital engagement has you know, basically flown off the chart. We went from almost 50-50 online, offline engagement to then it went to 90-10 in May. And then in September, it backed off a little bit. So now it's more like 80-20. But what we know is that high touch interactive is still very important, even in a digital environment, even the virtual environment, it has to be high touch, it has to be interactive. No one is going to spend a couple of million dollars just by clicking buy, you know, click here to buy now. It's not gonna happen. Or, or even clicking on a fabulous piece of thought leadership. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, So now I want to lead the witness a little bit, because I think one of the other things that hasn't changed, um, but I want to get your thoughts on it, is the importance not only of high touch and interactive, whether that's offline or online, but personalization, relevance, focus, right? So not all thought leadership is going to be effective, even if it's on some level really good. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If it isn't relevant to the person, they're not going to pay any attention to it or it's just not going to be effective. They'll say, well, gee, that's interesting, right? Yeah. But it's not going to be effective. So you you know, really have to think about who are your target audience? Who are you trying to build these relationships with? What kinds of content do they need? What are they looking for? How do they want it delivered? And the, the one thing we know is that... Um, there's no silver bullet, right? You have to know your audience um, and how they want to consume the information and and what kind of information they want. Uh, We do know that there is a preference among executives to uh, look for uh, smaller, more intimate, interactive kinds of interactions. It was like that prior to the pandemic. And right now, even in the virtual world, they're looking for those kinds of interactions. So, you know, it's just really important that you have, you you take a portfolio approach to what you're doing and you make sure it gets back to that ideation piece, you know, the ideas that that you're going to pursue and making sure that you're picking the the ideas that are uh, germane to your business strategy 
based on what are the needs of your audience and where are you headed? Because it, if it's not relevant, they're not, they're not going to pay any attention whatsoever. And personalization, we know uh, there's been studies. It shows that when you're able to personalize the content, you get better engagement, you get better results. Right, right. Okay, so let's, let's talk about research now in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, we've been talking about ITSMA research, you know, which I think is extremely valuable and helpful. Um, but for our members, for companies that are trying to strengthen executive engagement, to go deeper, um, how should they be thinking about research and understanding who those executives are, what they care about, how they might be interested in connecting, what kind of content might be effective? How should they think about that research piece? Well, um, I may be a little bit biased, but I think that the, the, the research method that is most effective when you're looking at executive engagement is persona research. And when I talk about personas, I'm not talking about roles. You know, it's not the CIO, the CMO, uh, the CEO. I I'm talking about how people buy. It's, it's, it's personas based on their buying behavior. And, you know, the best example I can give of that is that if you look at a CIO, there's just not one type of CIO. You know, some CIOs are very strategic business executives. Other CIOs uh, are, you know, and it could be because this is what they were hired to do. They're really, you know, let me keep the lights on. Let me maintain the infrastructure kinds right. of executives. All very important, right? No one, you know, it really is based on who's the person and the needs of the business. So you have to know what type of CIO you're selling to. Uh, and, you know, knowing the CIO, uh, you know, what are their pain points and what keeps them up at night? Yeah, that's important to understand, but that's not going to give you a competitive advantage because everybody knows that, right? right? I can Google on the internet, what are CIO pain points? And I can put together a CIO profile and call that a buyer persona, but it isn't because it isn't giving me any insight into how they buy, why they buy, what they're hoping to achieve and what's their buying criteria. And that's the kind of research work that you have to do to build personas that are going to help you differentiate your company your, and get grab people's attention, hold their attention, and persuade them to choose you and your solutions. And, and, and is it also solution-based in the sense that the same CIO yeah. who is leading an effort for a cloud migration behaves in a certain way, and then uh, the head of merchandising is looking to build out an e-commerce capability and the CIO is playing a, maybe a very different role in that decision process. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's the other thing about buyer personas is that they are solution-based. Um, you and I know that when we buy a car, we follow a very different purchase process than we do when we're planning a family vacation. Right. So, Even though we're the same person, we're the same age, we have the, we watch the same TV shows. Right? Yeah. And, and right. you know, it, every, but every purchase decision for every solution is going to be different uh, because it's a different process that you follow. Uh, so it's very important to understand, um, you know, if I'm, I'm buying a piece of equipment versus I'm buying an ongoing service, I'm going to follow a very different buying process. So the buyer personas, if done well, are a bit more complex than role-based profiles. But if you put the time in to actually 
developing these buyer personas, you'll get better results in terms of really understanding who the target audience is and being able to then create relevant content and messaging that's going to differentiate. Right. So now let me talk about, you know, what sometimes seems like the holy grail. And that's this perhaps dreaded cliche, you mentioned it earlier, of being the trusted advisor. Mm -hmm. So marketers forever have talked, we're the trusted advisor, or we want to become the trusted advisor. And, and, and um, you know, when I first learned of ITSMA when I was a young child 20 years ago, you know, we were already talking about trusted advisor for services marketing. And you've done some research as part of the how executives engage on how executives, our targets, the people we want to be trusted advisors for, how they think about it. Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about, you know, becoming a trusted advisor from the advisee's perspective. Right. Well, it all starts with the thought leadership. You have to have good ideas and a vision of the future and be able to communicate that to them. Uh, the other piece of it, which gets back to why the sales force has to be well-versed in that thought leadership, is that they don't want to be sold to. They don't want a sales pitch every time someone from your organization comes and talks to them. So the salespeople have to be able to add value as part of their engagement and their interaction. You know, I always talk about the fuller brush man, you know, let me open my coat here, which one would you like to buy? You can't do that. You have to, to really add value in every conversation. You know, they say, you know, of course the cliche is you can get the first meeting, but you may not get the second meeting. So if you really wanna have that ongoing engagement and build that trusted relationship, you have to be able to meet without selling. And the third piece that's very important for building this trusted uh, advisor relationship is the whole idea of collaborative innovation. The reason why these large enterprises are investing in these high consideration solutions is because they want a competitive advantage, right? And the way they're going to ensure that they get that competitive advantage is if they have something that nobody else has and they wanna do this collaborative innovation. Right. To me, and again, you know, the folks we work with who are running executive engagement programs is the, the breadth versus depth challenge, you know, and how do you balance that? Because to really understand how you can innovate with executives at clients, that's not, uh, you can't do that with a broad brush, you know, pardon the fuller brush <laughs> uh, uh, continuation here. And so we talk about, we want to be the trusted advisor for all of our customers. How realistic is that? Not very realistic at all. Or you can be a trusted advisor for all your customers in a very small niche. Mm. But if you want to be the trusted advisor, the one that they come to when they have an opportunity or a problem, you know, where they say, let me go speak to, you know, ITSMA and see what they think about this. Then you got to pick and choose which of your clients you're going to have that kind of relationship with and really invest in and develop that relationship. Mm -hmm. You can't do it across the board. Uh, you know, the problem most solution providers have is that they're a trusted advisor in that little niche so that they, you know, let's say you're, you're providing a, a particular service or solution 
And then when your customer has any issues or opportunities around that solution, they come to you. But if they have an opportunity for something outside of that, they may not even know that you provide that service and you can help them. Right. 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 You know, what part of the elephant are you touching? Right. So even the very large companies that have a big portfolio of capabilities, the, the trusted relationship is often in one business group, yes. one solution area. Exactly. Right? So, so it, it's a matter of, it, it takes a lot of time for you to, to build, you know, think of it as a solution provider building depth and breadth of relationships within their accounts. And it also takes a lot for you to explain your own breadth and depth with to those accounts. So it right. kind of works both ways, especially with the, you know, the large solution providers who have many different business lines. When I remember being, I guess not really stunned, but it was stunning to see the data. This goes back a couple of years in the research when you asked senior executives about how many trusted advisors do you have? And what was, you remember the data? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was three. Right, so, three. You know, they may work with 20, 25 different solution providers, but they only considered three to be a trusted advisor. And if that's the case, of course, not every vendor can, or solution provider can become a trusted advisor in all cases. Right, and those are typically long-term relationships. They are. They take. It takes time to build that relationship because it's it's based on consistent service and and delivery. Now, I always remember on this point working with one of our members, and they had good strong relationships with the client, but there was a new CEO coming in, and they really did not have much of any relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of research to try and understand him and what made him tick and who did he look to, who did he lean on for advice and guidance. And the most interesting and daunting takeaway was that he absolutely had a small circle of trusted advisors. And there were over past years, new ones that we could identify but you need to commit personally to 10 years. So if you wanted to break into this guy's inner circle, hmm. you know, you're going to have to say, I'm in this for 10 years. And so then you get the question, okay, on our side, as the solution provider, who's literally, who is that trusted advisor? And are they going to be around? I mean, maybe 10 years is an extreme case. Yeah. I, but I, it's not a transactional thing. Like, I'm going to come in and offer trusted advice and then I'm gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think that there, with the turnover, both at the solution providers and at our, our clients, that 10 years is probably yeah. a long time. But it, it's true, it does take time. Uh, and consistency to be able to build those relationships. They're not going to be born overnight. And uh, it, it, it just is. But when you've got it, it's great. 
No, it is. And, and we know from our own experience at ITSMA, when you have those relationships, they travel from company to company. They sure right. do. They do. Right. right. Okay. All right, Julie, really, really interesting. Um, just wondering, as we close out here, any last thoughts? Again, you've been doing this research for a long time. You are immersed in how executives engage. So as you know, this is such an area of investment for the marketers that we work with. And so I'm just wondering any lessons learned, final thoughts to help people think about uh, effectiveness here. Yeah, so you know, we've been doing this research, like I said, for 20 plus years, and we can identify the, the overall trends and what's happening in the market. But what it always hits home to me is that every market segment is different. Every country has differences, right? So every industry is, has differences. Every country has differences. Every type of solution purchase is a little bit different. Uh, there's enough difference in this data that the overall trends from what we do is just the starting point. And what you really need to do is that deeper research on your specific target audience. And I mentioned the persona-based research. I think that's key to develop those kinds of trusted relationships that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and we, you know, we know there's, there's no silver bullet, but you can't do everything. So if you do a little deeper research on your particular target audience and find out what are their trusted sources of information? What are the formats that they like? And uh, of course, um, there again, you're not gonna get a definitive answer, but you may find with your target audience that there are some higher preferences for something. And so I think the research doesn't stop with what we're doing. You have to dig deeper. Uh, and you know, I, I was thinking about how um, you know the example of you know. You, you may be a trusted advisor in one area and they don't know what you do in other areas. So this is gonna be my shameless plug. I'm always amazed when one of our members says, Julie, you do custom research? I didn't know that. So let me right. say it right now. I do custom research. And even persona research. Yes. <laughs> no, that's great. All right. Julie, thank you so much um, for all the work that you do and for the uh, today's discussion and insight. Always uh, a pleasure and a learning experience for me and I think for our audience. That's great. Well, thanks, Rob. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. Please let me know what you think and any suggestions about other guests or topics for future podcast conversations. Check out other episodes of C-Suite Marketing on ITSMA.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again to our sponsor, Boardroom Insiders. Have a great day.